appreciate this chance we've had to once again enter into your presence in Holy Communion, to be with you at the table. Father, we thank you for the invitation. We thank you for the response that you give to us of grace and mercy, forgiving our sins, convicting us of the things that we need to change, the things that we need to do. Thank you for your unceasing love and help us to love you and love others the same way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, a couple things are continuing to happen at OCC. Uh, you were invited to wear a uh, name tag today when you came in for a reason. Uh, we're not going to ask you to wear one forever, but there is a purpose behind it to make it easier for us to talk to each other. And so for the next three minutes, I'm going to give you some time to stand up. And th this is the only challenge before us is that... Uh, we're asking that you make sure no one in the room goes unspoken to. So please make it a point uh, to speak to everyone and uh, just welcome them and, and to the fellowship and tell them that you're glad you're here and you have three minutes starting now.
Man, I'm impressed. A lot of you now are making it across the room and back in three minutes. That's pretty good. I'm not sure I can do that when the building's empty, so that's pretty impressive that you can do that. I want to talk to you today as we continue our series for such a time as this about the topic of casting down idols. I know that sounds like an odd thing to say, and the real point of today's message is about worship. It follows uh, the, the previous three sermons, the first one being we talked about how vital prayer is, especially in this moment, for such a time as this, how vital our prayer life is. Uh, we followed up a, a conversation about prayer with the importance of study and, and how important it is for us to be studying in God's Word and, and, and being about uh, what He's asked us to Uh, to do and to know what his will is. Then, of course, last week we talked about serving and how important service is to God and what that looks like. Well, today I want to bring in this topic of worship, but to talk about worship, it really does have to come down to this question, uh, are there idols in your life you need to cast down? I ask that because an idol is an object of worship. And the thing that God calls us to is right, to worship the Lord our God only, serve him only, and not to worship the other things or to give them the same level of respect, of commitment uh, that we should give to God. And so I want us to be challenged today a little bit about this idea around worship and to really think about what does that, what does that look like, what does that mean? There was an interesting passage of scripture in the Gospel of John where Jesus meets with the Samaritan woman at the well. You'll remember that there is a conversation that strikes up between them about where is the right place to worship. But Jesus changes the conversation uh, from where is the right place to worship, and he makes it a conversation about uh, how is the right way to worship. And Jesus says, and you'll recall this, I'm sure, Jesus' response to her is that God wants worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. It was about a genuine, authentic relationship with God that was personal, uh, that was uh, intimate, that was truthful. Because it's easy for us to make people think that we're a, a Christ follower or a God worshiper. We can attend the right meetings, dress the right way, and talk the right way for a time. But it's a very different thing to be in Christ and really living uh, our life for God and worshiping him and having a true relationship. Jesus frequently challenged people about this idea. He pointed out hypocrisy. And he was very tough on this idea of, of hypocrites, people who honored God with their lips but their hearts were far from him. And so I want us to get into the scriptures today, and I want to look at at a couple of different passages where where Paul addresses the issue of worship, and he talks about what really matters. Now, the first one of these stories is, is, I think, a really fascinating one. It comes from the Apostle Paul, and it's found in the the book of Acts. And uh, it's the story of Paul in Athens, and he talks to some people who are very religious, but not necessarily worshiping God. And so he talks to these folks, and listen to the story, pick it up uh, in Acts chapter 17, about verse 16. It says, while Paul uh, was waiting, uh, he was waiting for them in Athens, them being uh, Silas and Timothy, 
while he was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Now, a group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with Paul, with him. Some of them ask, what is this babbler trying to say? I hope you don't call preachers babblers. That's what they call them. What's this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So then they took him and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. Areopagus is just a place. It's a, it's a, a meeting on a hill uh, where they would frequently gather to discuss things. And they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what that means. Now, the next verse is very telling. It says, all the Athenians uh, and the foreigners who lived there in Athens spent their time doing nothing but talking, uh, talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Man, they were so far ahead of their time. These were 24-hour-a-day news cycle people, right? They couldn't get enough. They wanted to watch it constantly, know what was happening in the world, in thought, and religion, and they talked about it all the time. They shared the same malady and addiction some others share today that can't get free of that cycle of news. Well, so Paul then begins to speak to them, and it says he stood up in the, in the meeting uh, of the Areopagus, and he said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, well, that's something for us to think about there, right? Because he's about to point out that they're not all worshiping the right things. It's a good lesson for us. We might be just as guilty. I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth and be determined, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And boy, those last three words are powerful. Seek, reach, and find. And I want you to know that if you are seeking and reaching him, you will find him. He says, if you seek me, you're going to find me. When he talks to the, the people of Athens, uh, he's concerned about the fact that they're worshiping the wrong things. Now, when we think about worshiping, we don't really think about idols, although we might have some people that, that have idols and trinkets that they kind of worship. 
But, but what does it mean to worship something? Well, we can, we can understand these things about worship. One of the key pieces of worship is what do I sacrifice to and what do I sacrifice for? You see, it was required of these altars, of these temples, of these false pagan gods that you offered sacrifices to them. You gave something up for that god. Almost all religions have some element of sacrifice. Oftentimes the idea is that we sacrifice to attain enlightenment or we sacrifice to attain forgiveness, but that's not the Christian experience. Our sacrifices are not what forgive us. That sacrifice was already given by Jesus. But our sacrifice to God is something pleasing. It's an act of worship. It's important. We are called to be people who worship the living God and no others. So I wonder, what is it that consumes you? The Athenians were consumed actually with religion or religions. They were constantly consuming. They wanted to make sure they had all of the facts. That's what they constantly sought. But what is it that consumes you? Sports? Politics? Work? Fun? What is the thing that you seek after day after day? Where do you find your joy? What do you spend your money on? What consumes most of your time? When we evaluate our lives in this way, it gives us an idea of what, what we value, what we worship. The Apostle Paul wants us to understand what worship is to be. And so I'm going to ask you to, to join me in another passage now about Paul, who preached that message in, to the Athenians in Romans chapter 12, he gives us this really powerful concept of what it means to worship God. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. It's a powerful concept. A spiritual act of worship is to become a living sacrifice. You know, we often hear the concept of sacrificial giving, giving more than we're, and a lot of preachers preach that, but I don't want to preach that message. I want to preach the gospel of, or the message of sacrificial living, because that's what Paul called us to do, is to, to make every part of our life a, a sacrifice, an offering to God. It's important to him. We read what Paul goes on to say here. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. A pattern in the world is that people, well, we settle for second best if we worship any other thing, object, idol, anything besides God is second best, second rate, a hand-me-down, imperfect. So don't conform to that pattern, Paul says, but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. I like Paul's teaching about 
sacrificial living and having a humble perspective about who we are and a holy perspective about who God is and getting our focus right about what really matters. It's an interesting thing. If you would go through the New Testament and you would just look at every passage of Scripture that talks about sacrifice, uh, you'd learn a lot about what, what God expects. Like you'd read Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16, where, where he talks about worship in our words and our songs. And worship is praise, although it it's encompasses much more than just praise. Hebrews, the Hebrew writer says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The Bible warns us now, praising and cursing shouldn't come from the same lips. <laughs> so we have to think about what comes out, right? A continual sacrifice of praise is an idea that everything I say is pleasing to God. And that's hard for me because I actually can tell you that's not the case. I still get hooked by the 24-hour news cycle, and I still get frustrated with things that happen in the world, and, and I catch myself not constantly pleasing God, I'm sure, with the things I might say. Maybe you struggle with the same struggle. He tells us, offer to God a sacrifice of praise constantly, continuously, in all things. He goes on from that in verse 16 of Hebrews 13. He says, and do not forget to do good to others and to share with others, to remember the poor. <laughs> wow. So he does want to sacrifice continually of my, of my words, of my praises, of the things that come out of my mouth, but he also does want a sacrifice. But it's not that I give money here in the plate, although that's appropriate. It's that I look after those who are in need. That's what the Hebrew writer calls us to. Be out there helping those. Do not forget to do good. I know we don't like this idea. It has a weird connotation, but do you realize God calls you to be a do-gooder? You're do-gooders, and you should be doing good in the world. And even though it's such a, a simple thing, it gets stated over and over by Jesus, by the gospel writers, sharing matters. Little Atticus has this down. He says, Grandpa, sharing is caring. He's right. We should be sharers. It matters. It matters. If our Father gives us good gifts, and he does, he gives us great gifts. He doesn't want us to be spoiled little brats who hoard the gifts for ourselves and say, look at all the nice things I have. But boy, we sure fall into that sometimes. We're like that kid in one of those movies that gets all upset on his birthday because he only has 27 presents this year and not as many as he had last year, 27, right? We don't want to be the person who hoards all the gifts for ourselves. If our Father is good at giving gifts to others, he invites us to join him as an act of worship in sharing those gifts with other people. In fact, this was the whole message of, of, of the nation of Israel. God said, I will bless this group of people for the purpose of them being a blessing to the rest of the world. And God does the same thing with us. <laughs> he has poured out his blessings into us so that through us his blessings can flow to others. This is worship. This is worship. 
He goes on and he closes that passage in Hebrews out by saying, with such sacrifices, God is pleased. See, he's not interested in a sacrificing a lamb or a bird any longer or a bull. That's not the sacrifice he desires. But our God does desire sacrifice and how we live and how we give and how we share and how we help and how we heal. Well, Paul talks also about sacrifice in the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 4, he, he talks about their support of missions and of evangelism and, and that they get behind people who are doing a good work in the world. I had a chance yesterday to speak with a trainer who works with the Indianapolis Colts. And, and, and we shared together and we talked and it was neat to hear him kind of share his story because God has used him as a, as a believer in Christ uh, to be a witness and a light to others. And he actually, by pouring himself in, in his very small way, he doesn't have the big platform to speak on and to do all those things, but he pours himself into people who do. And God is blessing that. And some of those high-profile individuals have not been ashamed or afraid to make their faith known in a recent TV series. Who's to say but that a, a Christian behind the scenes, just faithfully doing his part, investing in other people, hasn't yielded much fruit. Much fruit. Paul was so thankful for the people in Philippi because they invested in his ministry and they invested in the work that he was doing in evangelism and God blessed that. And Paul says of their gifts, they are a fragrant offering they are an acceptable sacrifice that pleases God. Worship. Is it about what happens in this space? Absolutely. The beautiful worship that Cody highlighted today, that's a beautiful thing. In Brooklyn, and she's a beautiful worshiper of God. Nobody pours out their heart like she does before the Lord. Worship like that matters. But if that's the only worship we get, if that's the only worship we do for that 30 minutes on a Sunday, I just think God deserves more than that. Don't you? We live in an era that is perilously poised for destruction. The world needs to see the light of Christ. They need to experience the Almighty God and know that there is a true God. And they need to be able to distinguish him from the false gods that permeate the globe. And they will experience that in part when they see Worshippers of God, honoring God with their lips and with their lives, living a life of praise. Because check this out, God inhabits the praise of his people. And when they see true worshipers, they will see God. His reflection will shine on them through us. But I'm humbled because I can think of many occasions that the reflection people saw was not God in me. 
And maybe you can think that too. But here's the good news. God's grace is sufficient for me. It's sufficient for you. And what happened yesterday or last week, last month, last year, the last decade or whenever isn't what matters today. It's what happens from here forward. Frequently, the scripture tells us today is the day of salvation. (laughs) Today is the day to turn to God from idols, to lay at his feet anything that's become too important that we'd rather focus or spend time with that thing than with God. If there's something like that in your life, I encourage you and invite you to lay it down in our time of prayer today. Talk to God about it. It might be that you're here today and you've never yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Maybe for such a time as this, you came to church today (laughs) to make life's most important decision. I don't know what decision or what thinking is in your heart right now, but God does. And I suspect God is urging you through his spirit, wooing you in the way that he does towards a closer walk with him. I encourage you to be faithful, to hear the Lord and to do what he asks you to do. As we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation. Mm -hmm.